Any dairy producer will tell you, a good employee is worth every dollar. But every two weeks when payday comes around, do you ever wonder if you're getting the most out of your investment? What if it doesn't have to cost you a penny more to maximize the efforts and outcomes of every hour you are paying employees to be at your dairy? We'll keep on listening to learn how some of the best dairies in the Southwest are increasing the ROI of their workforce on this Uplevel Dairy Podcast. This is the podcast for dairy farm owners, managers, and advisors who are committed to profitability, sustainability, and excellence. I'm Peggy Coffeen, and it's my mission to bring you the conversations that will uplevel your skill set and your mindset so you can be a top performer in the dairy farming business. Our guest today spends a lot of his time improving training, safety, and development of the dairy workforce. Dr. Robert Haugavort from New Mexico State University joins us to talk about the three things he sees high-performing dairy operations doing to increase employee engagement, retention, and performance. Robert is also the driving force behind the upcoming High Plains Dairy Conference, which you can tune in tomorrow to hear more about that on our next episode. I'll be emceeing this high-impact meeting, which will be in Amarillo, Texas, March 5th and 6th, with a bonus day of middle manager training in English and Spanish on March 7th. Find the links in our show notes because we'd love to see you there. And today, let's tap into what Robert has discovered when it comes to maximizing employee performance and every dollar of the line item for labor. What are the challenges that you most commonly see and hear from dairy owners and managers when it comes to their workforce? Through research that, that we've done uh, together with Dr. David Dufresne, who's currently at Texas A&M, looking at what the, the makeup of the workforce is, and we've seen that the makeup of the, the, the dairy workforce over the last 10, 15, 20 years has changed drastically, where we were thinking that we were just working with a Hispanic, mainly from Mexico workforce. We're finding out that we see a lot more workers now coming from Central America that, are, that add a whole different culture, a different language, and even ergonomically a different stature to the mix. And it's something that, that, that a lot of owners and managers don't even realize the changes that are happening within their workforce. Or we were thinking that maybe we were just dealing with two cultures and two languages and maybe two statures. And all of a sudden, we're dealing with three of each. And it has real implications in, in how to manage that workforce. We see now middle managers that typically Hispanic middle managers that, that came from, that originate from, say, Mexico are now managing uh, Central American workers from indigenous backgrounds. And then there's a whole different culture, different languages. There's, there's a whole set of challenges that we maybe not even understand are happening under the surface of our, our workforce. And so one of the things that, that I keep talking to owners and, and producers about is, do you really know who works for you? Really? Have you, have you spent time listening to who, who is working for you? Where are they from? What are some of the challenges that they bring to their jobs? What are some of the needs that they have to become better at what it is that they do in terms of training, in terms of empowerment? Are your middle managers prepared to deal with that different culture, with that different background, with that different language in the mix? And what can you do as owner manager to provide your middle managers with tools to better manage that changing workforce? And at the end of the day, empower them through more listening, better understanding of who works for you, empower them and provide them with the tools to do a better job. The question that I ask for this is how much money are we leaving on the table by not fully getting out of our workers their 100%, right? 
getting out of them what they could bring to the table if they were fully motivated, if they really wanted to work for us, if they really wanted to do their best. And, and the question is, how much money are we leaving on the table by not getting the best out of our employees? Such a deep question. How much money are you leaving on the table? And Robert, this actually, this conversation reminds me of one of the first times that I heard you present in person. You had talked at that meeting about the language differences in the workforce. And that was a real eye opener for me at the time. At that time, I was magazine editor. And I remember you and I did an article about this specifically because the Spanish language is not one language. And as you alluded to before, when we have those from Mexico and then dealing with Central American descent, it is not the same language. In fact, you identified through your study and through your research that there is right. an entirely different language that was being spoken. It's interesting because we've done a lot of safety training, animal handling training, and antibiotic prevention training. And in Spanish and English on farms. And, and so at one of our trainings, I'm speaking Spanish to the employees. It appeared that in the back of the room, there was a group of employees and there was one person in particular seemed to be translating or talking to this other group of eight or nine workers that was kind of sitting off to the side, listening to him and not to me. And so I called time out and I said, is my Spanish that bad? And he said, no, your Spanish is great. It's not your Spanish. It's that they don't speak Spanish. And I, that was a realization right there. And I didn't understand that because I assumed that most of our workers, even those, you know, everybody pretty much south of the border, our border would speak Spanish, not realizing that if, if workers that come from the countryside in Central America and have not gone to school may not speak any Spanish. And what they speak is their traditional indigenous languages, and there's 23 or 27 of them, of which Kiche is one of the most predominant ones that they talk to, to each other in that language. But depending on the region where they come from, they will speak one of the many indigenous languages. And, and they're not even dialects. They are truly language identified mm -hmm as languages, they're Mayan languages, indigenous languages, totally different from anything that we are aware of, our European languages, even, you know, the Latin-based Spanish were very, very different. If anything, the indigenous languages sound to me more like the indigenous languages that you find here in the U.S., like from, from our tribal languages, Navajo or, or any of one of those languages. That's what it probably, to me, sounds more like. And so then I found out that the person that was translating had only been on the dairy for like eight or nine months. Mm. So how well did he really understand safety issues or animal handling issues or antibiotic prevention issues that he was now, in essence, training those other eight or nine? And so here we are. We think that we have our protocols translated. We have our, our training materials translated. We're providing everything in Spanish. And now we're finding out that up to 45 to maybe 50% of our workforce is coming from Central America and may not, they may not be able to read and write at all. They may not be able to speak Spanish. So how well a job are we actually doing with training those folks? Some of them actually speak better English than they do Spanish as they come here and they start learning English. They just forgo the whole Spanish thing altogether. And so the question really is how effective 
is our training, if we're not taking into consideration that we're dealing with a whole other culture, a whole other language, and ergonomically a whole other stature, because most of the folks in Central America are are even shorter than the folks that we typically, the workforce typically from Central America. Nothing in our on our dairies was designed for a four-something person from Central America. I mean, everything has been designed for your typical Anglo six-foot person, five-eight, six-foot person, including buttons in the parlor, the table where we milk on, the pit depth, every button on a tractor, on a feeder wagon, on, on anything that we need to reach or do was all designed ergonomically for your typical five-eight, six-foot person. Not for a person that's maybe four foot something from from Central America. So, ergonomically, this really provides some challenges in terms of, say, fatigue with milkers if they have to reach out of their out of their comfort zone. And so, what do we do to accommodate some of those workers to be able to work the eight or or whatever amount of hours that they're working for us and get the best out of them so that they don't fatigue during the shift and of course, that's a safety risk, but also a performance risk. So those are some of the things that, that I look into, that I try to talk to producers about, and at least let them make them aware of those of some of those things that are happening within their workforce that they may not even realize are, are happening. I want to go back to that moment when you were in the room and you realize, you realize something really big in that moment that all of the efforts to to bring Spanish to that training, we're actually not, not the answer. So what, how did that change the way that you started to focus your work? Well, the realization is to start, right? I mean, it's, it's realizing that you're only reaching maybe half or a little bit more than half of, of the population that you're, that you're working for. That was huge, that realization. And then the next question was, okay, and I asked these folks, so can you read if I were to able to read and read, write what, what it is that you need to know? And they were like, no, because th- these Mayan languages are written in glyphics. They're not written in our alphabet. And if they've not gone to school, they did not learn how to read or write their language. And so written materials are almost useless at that point. And the only way to to actually be able to train people is with with video, audio, visual materials. So videos and audio. And of course, most of us as adults were vis- visual learners anyway. So that that was a realization that providing training videos, and that's why some of those how-to videos on on YouTube are so popular. You know how to how to make mac and cheese, right? As simple as that may sound, or how to change the battery in your car, right? These, these how-to videos are very popular because you can see and follow it and you don't have to read a manual of how, I don't know how many pages and trying to understand what it is that they say. And so that is taking training to a whole other level where you provide audio-visual training modules that they can actually follow and see how it is that they can do these things. And we have learned through doing these trainings and doing effectiveness evaluation that those kind of trainings, first of all, maybe on an iPad doing training to where they can actually watch the video and then follow it up with a return demonstration and go out in the corrals and say, okay, that white cow out there, I need to treat her. 
Now, how would you go about bringing her into this pen so I can actually get to her? And letting these guys demonstrate to you how is the most practical and the safest way to isolate one cow from the group so where we can actually treat that cow, right? So it, it is it is showing it in a video and then doing return demonstrations, which is actually a form of, of hands-on training, which owners then or, or managers can take on later on as a way of, of more effectively training their employees. And this goes back to the big question that you asked earlier, and that was this, how much money are we leaving on the table, right, by not properly training and engaging employees. And we can look at a lot of different levers to pull for what that takes. But what you've really done is you've pulled back, you've peeled back these layers of an onion to get to an underlying root. And that was that in some instances, no amount of training, no amount of incentives, no amount of any other common management effort was going to be effective if the language and the way of communicating to that audience, that specific audience of the workforce, wasn't meeting them where they were at. Correct. And I think you make a really good point, and that is meeting the needs of your workers at their point of need, right? And so that's why I asked the question, do you really know who works for you? And how much time are you investing in finding out not just their name, their last name, and if they have a family, but it's a part of a of the process. Where 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 are these people coming from? What is their level of understanding? Have they worked in agriculture with animals before? And if not, what can I do to help them to better understand what it is to work with a fifteen hundred pound cow? What it is to work with the kind of equipment that we're working with? And and what are the most effective because that's the other part. We can we we've done training forever and ever. I mean as a as a consultant nutritionist consultant, I, I spend days working with feeders trying to get them to understand how to mix the ration and to get it in front correctly in front of cows. We can train till we're blue in the face. But what is the most effective way of spending our time training if we want to get beyond just checking the box? Because if, if that's the thing, then we can do whatever and, and we're good. But if we really want to get the best out of our workers, motivate them, and, and, and see to it that they are willing and able to give us their best. Because we've learned that pay is not the motivator per se. I mean, it's, it, it's great if they get great pay, but that is not the motivator. But what do we, do we need to do to get the best out of our people? And it starts by knowing who works for us, mm. understanding what their needs are to, to do their job better, providing those tools, and, and then evaluating if those tools have helped them to do things better. And so, you know, metrics about performance. We have few on a dairy. We have tons on cows. We have every metric in the book on cows. We know everything in stressing pounds and dollars and percentages and whatever. We have everything. What about workers? Do we have metrics to where we really can evaluate who is my best? We know who is the best worker in our parlor. By looking, we can see it, right? But do we have a metric to justify and say, you know what, I'm going to give you a raise because you are my best worker to where you maybe motivate the other ones to step it up as well, right? And, and challenge other workers to become the best at what it is that they do and understanding what the needs are in order to get there. 
and what you just mentioned there, Robert, understanding the needs. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. because what what I hear through what you shared in this story is a lot of your work initially started out helping the producer, the owner, the manager solve a problem that they had, right? Understanding, yeah. okay, what is their problem? So you're spending time looking at how can we better train this workforce? How can we better utilize and optimize the workforce? But then as you dug in deeper, it has become the other piece that you just shared, truly understanding the workforce needs, truly understanding and taking the time to get to know not just where they come from, but what are their challenges and what do they need to be successful and how and what motivates them? How are they motivated? So as you've dug into the secondary layer of understanding the challenges at the workforce level, what's come out of that? Well, like I said, I mean, it, th- there's a lot of misunderstanding. And I was one that did the same thing. I, I assumed a lot of things. And I think a lot of our producers also assume they're working with a Hispanic workforce and they're working with uh, two languages and two cultures. Yet under the service, there's a whole lot more. I compare it to an iceberg. We're only looking at the tip that we know and understand, but there is so much more under the surface there that we don't understand. And that's, and that's why I encourage owners and managers, also middle managers, to learn more about who is really working for them and what, what, their, what their needs are in, in order to become better. Because one of the things that we're finding out is that turnover is extremely high. Well, that can be high because we got physically demanding and challenging jobs, right? And not everybody wants to do a physically challenging job anymore. I, I get that. But a lot of the turnover is also due because people are just not happy. They're not being met at, at the level of their needs in their jobs. And so at some point, they just walk away. They go somewhere else where they are feeling better about their jobs and what it is that they do all day long. So if we want to, you know, if we're looking at, at, at turnover and some of the producers that are very good in this, and, and I've worked with, with, with many of them, have really dove into this issue to understand, to better understand who works for them. So they get away from the cow part. They get away from managing cows and they really start focusing on managing people. It's not everybody's forte. There's just some of our guys that, that are just really, really good cow managers and they just don't care to really dive into that human part. And so if that's the case, and if you recognize that that is you, then hire somebody that is good at it, right? And, and step out of the way and let that person do the HR part. Recognize that. And that's okay. That's fine. Keep focusing on contracting feed and contracting milk and expanding your business and looking at the challenges ahead. Focus on that part. But then hire somebody that is really, really good at this understanding this human resource part and let them get out of their way and let them do what they're good at. But really diving in and understanding who works for you and thereby maybe changing this, this, this turnover war where we're just losing it. Because every time we turn somebody over, have to retrain, rehire and do all these things, the time, energy and money spent on doing that is a huge cost to our business. And so we got to learn how we can retain people and, 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 men. and so it really goes to what is now being referred to as talent managing talent management, right? Learning, for one, a lot of our guys, when they come from, from South America somewhere, they, they end up working in agriculture, but they, they don't know what it is that they're doing. They have never worked in agriculture. 
So getting to know what they're good at, not everybody probably should be milking cows. Not everybody that we hire probably should be working with cows. They may not have the patience. They may not have the personality to really work with animals, but maybe they're great mechanics. Maybe they're great on the farm. Maybe they're great in, in whatever other jobs that we have. So recognizing what talent that person brings to our business and being able to accommodate that is going to help a huge way with the turnover, making them feel good about what it is that they do. So talent management is becoming more and more important in this field and recognizing what these people bring. They don't come with a resume most of the time. They just come willing to do a job. They want to be at our business and they want to do that job. But recognizing what they are good at, they all bring some talent to the table. It is up to us to find out what that talent is and accommodate that within our business. Mm. And and somebody that maybe is not very good in the parlor, maybe a fantastic mechanic, who knows? But it is up to us to figure that one out and accommodate that and facilitate that within our business. And when you say up to us, that means that sometimes it doesn't have to be you as an individual, as the manager. But as you mentioned before, Robert, finding that person, hiring it out, outsourcing outsourcing that talent management piece. And so I'm curious because you work with so many dairies in your region and outside of that as well. Any success stories that come to mind where you have seen a dairy really invest and embrace this talent management piece and turn a switch on the turnover problem that they may have been experiencing prior? I am convinced, and I've seen this by working, as you say, with as many dairies as I do, that those dairies that discover this HR piece and how to manage that are the dairies that are currently doing well and will continue to do well in the future. It is, it is the Achilles heel of the industry. There's no doubt about it. And those that really learn and embrace that piece and learn how to manage that and capture that money that is left on the table are the ones that are going to be economically in their term, in, you know, at the end of the day, in their bottom line, are going to be much better off. Those, those are the successful dairies today that are learning, investing, and focusing on that HR piece because our dairies are getting larger. And the one thing that, that all dairies have in common when they get larger, they hire more people. So that people management piece becomes more and more critical towards our bottom line and how to manage that. The same thing we did with our cows as we started milking more cows when we start focusing on nutrition and reproduction and all these technical issues when it comes to cows. We now need to switch that to focusing on all these technical issues when it comes to that other resource, which is the human resource. Words like talent management and human resources and getting to know what drives your employees, getting to know the people that work for you. Those are words that, that sound good. What does it look like in action? Mm -hmm. Is there a dairy that comes to mind where they've really embraced the concept? What does that mean that they're doing different every day? Or what does that mean that someone is coming in and doing for them that they weren't doing before? Is it is it one-on-one -on -one employee meetings? Is it employee appreciation? What, what does it look like in real time? It's all of the above, and it's different for every business. But the one thing that I tell producers is as they go around on their dairies and they look at their cows and they look at the feed and they look at how things are being done, first and foremost, the one thing that you have in common with your workers, you're both human. Be a human 
to the humans that work for you, right? And I know there's cultural barriers, there's language barriers, there's all kinds of barriers that we have that we see a lot of our Hispanic workers that come here, and especially from Central America. And they they look up to management and, and they consider the owners at a whole different level. But what owners can do to break down some of those barriers, what owners can do to really meet those people and learn, learn from them, is meet them at the human level and say, how are you doing today? How are things going? What are some of your challenges, right? And that doesn't mean that you have, mean that you have to run out and fix everything, but have that one-on-one. Be a human to the humans that work for you. Learn, learn and understand who is there, what they're dealing with when it's hot and when it's cold, when, when they're chasing cows and it's not working, and, and all those things that happen on a daily basis that we went through when we were growing up. And, and our dad you know, told us, go get these cows out of the pen or get that bull out of there or do this or do that. All those different things, what we learned how to do it better, are the same things that our workers are going through at their level and their challenges. So being able to be there and to listen. I mean, the first thing that we need to do when it comes to this in relationships in general and in human resource relationships in, in, in particular is being able to be a good listener. Listen to what people are telling you. Read between the lines. Learn what it is that they're telling you. You don't have to be a psychologist or, or, or a counselor to, to really dive into this. Just listen to what they're telling you. And there's going to be repetition in some of those messages where you might be able to learn and go like, I thought that I was doing this. Maybe I'm not. And be able to recognize that. Be able to be a good listener and interpret what it is that they're telling you. When you really take a step back and you look at the dairies that you work with that have the lowest turnover, the highest level of employee performance, and are truly doing what we've been talking about in this conversation today, optimizing that individual employee and not leaving the money on the table of what they can bring to the business. To kind of wrap that all up into a few things that they're that they're doing differently and that they're doing right, you've talked about mm-hmm. really just spending time, even at the level, even at a high level of ownership, getting down on the ground Correct. next to people and having conversations and listening, truly listening. Absolutely. And some of the dairies that have done that have found out that, for example, one of the problems that, you know, they live very far out of town and it is a challenge for employees to get to the dairy. And they've realized for some dairies, it may be employee housing. For other dairies, it may be providing transportation for workers to get to the dairy to where they can leave the vehicle in town for, for mom to take the kids to school and do the grocery shopping and things like that. For others, it may be providing meals on the dairy because they're too far out of town you know, for people to bring a lunch. And, and a healthy meal is something that we all need. Too often we see still workers going around on three Red Bulls a day. And, and that's, that is probably not sustainable for any human being. And so being able to provide those kind of things, and that may be different for every dairy, depending on where you're at, where you're located, what the challenges of your employees are. And it could be um, English classes. I have heard that story being a success story in some dairies where they've been able to provide the resources to help them train with English or how to fill out paperwork for insurance or healthcare or taxes or those kind of things to that, that have really helped them to say, you know what, I find value working for a company 
Dairy X because they provide these kind of things where we have a need as a family. Mm -hmm. And so it may be different for every dairy, but again, those owners and managers found that out by listening, that those were some needs that they were able to recognize and say, okay, what would it take for me to have a van that goes and picks up some of these guys? Or what would it take for me to be able to provide some of those meals? Maybe, maybe it's contacting with a local burrito lady that comes by and, and, and does that, or maybe it's providing somebody that cooks there. Maybe, like I said, it's housing or, but it is, again, it's listening to employees, recognizing what their needs are. And maybe those are, you know, some simplified solutions. Maybe, maybe it's something else for your dairy. Yeah. So that's where you've seen the success. And it looks a little bit different, like you said, for, for each dairy, but there's no success in assumption. There's no success in assuming that what is working for one business is going to work for the other because the people are different and the needs are different. And as you just illustrated, really getting down to the barriers and the benefits that you can either take away as barriers or benefits that you can offer. And going back to something you shared earlier, Robert, that it doesn't always come down to the dollar. It's the package of the experience of working for your organization. So, so one of the things we found out, for example, during COVID, and, and that's not a normal time, of course, but one of the things we did find out in, in going out to dairies and working with employees and the challenges that COVID brought with employees being close together or, or commuting together in a van and, or living together as workers in, in one house was the, the need for health care. There's so many young men that are coming across the border and working in, in agriculture, across agriculture. And they're young. They really don't realize that they need health care until it really hits them. But the need for health care became very obvious. And there is areas in this country where there is mobile health care, where you get a, a health department to come out to your business once a month, stop there, and have a conversation about what their needs are and recommend to them. It could be as simple as a blood pressure test or some advice on, on diabetes or any other issues to say, you know, here is a, a healthcare facility in town where they don't ask any questions. You can go there and, and you can get advice on, on whatever it is that you're dealing with. That's another one of those areas where we might be able, by just asking around, we might be able to have a, a, a mobile health care facility stop by once a month and be there for a couple of hours to answer questions. That might be one of those services that, that you could provide. And like I said, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but it is really finding out. And that is, like I said, what we found out during COVID, that, that some of the needs were in, in the healthcare area. And if you can provide that where there is a need, maybe that is a reason why some of your workers go like, I want to work for this place. I want to be here because they, they, they care about me. They provide some of the things that I have a need for. That definitely speaks to the retention piece. And as you talk about that, it makes you think about that performance piece as well, right? Because as any human, if we're in our best health and if we have less stress and worry that we take with us to work because certain things are being addressed, if we can reduce that stress and worry, and optimize an individual's health, any of us are going to perform better. Absolutely. 
And it's just finding out what those needs are, right? And that could be different in the different areas, could be weather related. You know, can we provide some things that would help them be less hot during the summer or less cold during the winter? What are some of the things that I can provide? And it doesn't have to be that you give something, but maybe it's a, a place where they can, you know, a break room that is actually cooled or warm or, you know, what are some of the things that, that can help them deal with some of the challenges of working on a dairy? And, and again, it's, that is listening. Well, Robert, you have laid out some great some great insights from your work in the dairy industry, from the producer level, understanding their concerns, right down to the employee level, and really getting to know what are their needs and how can we work together to be able to address those with the overall overarching goal of being able to not leave those dollars on the table, optimize performance of employees, great for the dairy, great for the bottom line. But you know what? At the end of the day, this is about empowering people and helping them to be successful at work and at home and in our communities too. You just heard from Dr. Robert Hagevort from New Mexico State University Extension. If you didn't have a chance to take notes, here are a few key takeaways on how to maximize the ROI on your dairy's workforce. Number one, do you really know who works for you? You may be surprised to find out that as more of our workforce comes from Central America, your employees may not be able to read, let alone speak Spanish, but rather have their own indigenous language. Number two, what do we need to do to get the best out of our people? The performance trigger may be as simple as asking employees what they need, listening, and helping to provide a solution to the problem so they can show up at work without carrying stress and worry from home and perform at their best every day. It may mean providing healthcare services or easy access to a healthy meal. Number three, are you managing your talent? This is about getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Opening up communication to understand someone's skills will pay dividends with engagement and retention. Not everyone is great with cows, but that person may be a rock star with mechanics. Don't lose a good person by putting them in a role where they were not set up to be successful. And that goes back to asking questions and listening. And that's not easy for everyone. If you're a dairy producer or manager who struggles with people skills, look at HR and talent management like any other service you would custom hire or outsource. Find someone else who's good at it. I hope this conversation pushes you to take your employees to their next level of performance and your business too. Join Robert and I both for the High Plains Dairy Conference in Amarillo, Texas, March 5th and 6th, with a bonus day of manager training on March 7th. Links are in the show notes and join us again tomorrow to hear more from Robert about the premier event of the High Plains, the 2024 High Plains Dairy Conference. I'm Peggy Coffeen and thank you for listening to the Up Level Dairy Podcast.